Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast Season 10 presented by our good friends at Skytrack. This is Al Lunsford, the digital editor of Lynx. Today we have a great conversation with a man that we coined golf's next great developer in a recent issue of Lynx. His name is Ben Cowan-Dewar. He is the co-founder and CEO of Cabot. You've probably heard of Cabot Cliffs, Cabot Lynx, up in Cape Breton uh, in Nova Scotia, as well as some other projects that are in the works in the States and abroad. Before we get to our conversation with Ben, we're going to go ahead and get into our weekly segment, the teed-up topic of the week. Ben answers this question twofold uh, at the end of his interview, so be sure to tune in for that. The question of the week is, who's your favorite golfer of all time? We got a great selection of answers for you from our readers. I'll go ahead and give my answer. Uh, I was born in 1990, so right when I was starting to realize what golf was all about uh, was when Tiger was getting ready to burst on the scene. So I've kind of always been a Tiger guy myself. Uh, he's the one who ignited the excitement into the game, had me fist pumping as a very young kid on the greens, thinking I was cool whenever I would make a putt, really introducing some swagger into the game of golf. And kind of for that same reason, the guys I like nowadays – Justin Thomas is definitely one of my favorite guys. He brings the same type of energy and feel to the game that Tiger always did. And I just love Rory McIlroy's swing. I think it's the prettiest, best golf swing in the game today. And Rory does a great job of always speaking what's exactly on his mind, giving you an honest answer to questions when you've got a world of guys that just default into the golf speak the typical record player answers that you'll hear over and over again I feel like you never really get that from Rory which is really refreshing from a media perspective I was glad to see that like I said there were a lot of different answers to this question and people chose to elaborate as well so let's get into some reader answers Bill B writes in his pick is gentle Ben Crenshaw our good friend He says, I loved his swing and short game, but the way he has always conducted himself with class, both in victory and defeat, is what I admire most. His love for the history of the game is unmatched, and the beautiful courses he and Bill Corr have built and continue to design will be his legacy. Thomas H. is looking at the Golden Bear, Jack Nicklaus. He says, I was 13 when Jack won the U.S. Open in 1962. Being an Ohio boy, he was my instant hero. I think a lot of people can relate to Jack's victories over the years. No surprise from Dave S. is another popular pick, the King Arnold Palmer. Ever since I started playing as a kid in the 60s, I would mimic Arnie hitching my pants, smoking a candy cigarette, putting my knees together in a putting stance. Oh, how I hated for Jack to beat Arnie. I later became a fan of Nicholas. 
but I loved Arnie's playing style and his unparalleled impact on the game of golf. We'll do a few more here. Brett K has to be Phil the Thrill Mickelson. His go-for-it style always has us on the edge of our seats. You almost always know that something's going to go wrong because of his style, but you just can't look away. He's the best. There is something about when Phil lines up for one of his patented flop shots that just gets the gets the blood rushing as a golf fan. Tom J says, My favorite player has always been Ben Hogan. He worked hard and was a true champion of the game we love. Our man Cone R says, Francis Ouimet. Caddying since I was 11 and having met Francis at the U.S. Open in Brookline, he was an inspiration to us Boston kids. Every old course in Massachusetts has stories about him. Mine was that I caddied at Wollaston Golf Club when Francis won the Massachusetts Amateur before he won the U.S. Open. He won his final match by birdieing the final six holes. Impressive feat by Francis Ouimet. It's just a, a name you like to say. And lastly, Charlie Y., Maybe an answer that uh, others can sympathize with that doesn't immediately go to the tour. Charlie says, my pop. I took him to Pebble for his 75th birthday as a surprise. It was the best round of my life. Don't forget, we have a new topic every week. It's in our Sunday newsletter, the Links Insider email newsletter. You can sign up on www.linksmagazine.com. There's a link that says get our newsletters. Just enter your email and you'll start receiving those weekly. Without further ado, let's get to our interview with Ben Cowan-Dewar. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are excited to be joined today by Ben Cowan-Dewar, the co-founder and CEO of Cabot, a name you probably have heard and a destination that should be at the top of your list. I say destination, but we're actually going to get into a situation where that could mean you know, one of several places. Right now, we're talking about Cabot Links and Cabot Cliffs as part of the Cabot Cape Breton Resort property, but... You also have in development uh, another property in Canada, property in St. Lucia, and recently announced the World Woods Golf Club in Florida would be redone as a Cabot property as well. But I'll stop rambling now and introduce him. Uh, ben, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, how are you doing? What have you been up to recently? Uh, and... I know you're traveling to St. Lucia tomorrow. How much are you looking forward to that? Yeah, just uh, just wonderful to be with you, Al. And uh, we've been up to uh, seemingly lots, but uh, we've uh, been moving around a fair bit between uh, the various projects and uh, have been lucky enough to be in Revelstoke, which you mentioned, uh, skiing uh, about a month and a half ago. And then from there went to... Uh, Went to St. Lucia to catch up on the progress and then spent a fair bit of time at, uh, at World Woods and sort of thinking about its next chapter as Cabot Citrus Farms. And uh, 
and trying to find time to, you know, uh, be in uh, be at home in Toronto a little bit. But it's uh, it's an awfully fun time to be able to see those projects at uh, at different stages of development. Ben, I know that, like I said, a lot of people have heard of Cabot, um, maybe offhandedly mentioned, and it's the courses at Cape Breton have uh, been on been a part of top 100 lists for um, a little while now. Uh, for those who may not be as familiar with the brand. Uh, and what you guys do at Cabot. Could you briefly describe what Cabot is and, and how it got started? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. I mean, it was, uh, it was, you know, really began 17 years ago, hearing about an opportunity in, uh, in Cape Breton to build golf on a site that the community of Inverness had long thought of as a great site for golf. And, uh, you know, and I think in, those, as you know, are rare to find sites that, you know, are truly great, but they had something really unique in a mile of ocean frontage and, uh, and a real commitment of this community, um, you know, to, to see Lynx golf, not just golf, but Lynx golf built on their shore. And, you know, seeing the property, I was immediately, you know, intoxicated by their enthusiasm for the vision and uh, at a relatively young age had set out to you know build a golf course despite not knowing much about building a golf course uh, other than I'd played a lot of great ones and thought I I had a sense of what made up the uh, what made up the ingredients of of the truly great courses but you know simply it just starts really with a great site and so with that great site and working with Rod Whitman and his his team and, you know, and partnering with Mike Kaiser, who obviously had been, uh, you know, my exemplar with uh, with Band and Dunes and Barnboogle Dunes in Tasmania. We were able to open Cabot Links a decade ago and uh, and time flies. And uh, we got to open Cabot Cliffs with Bill Coor and Ben Crenshaw uh, have added a par three course, the Nest in Cape Breton. And so really that's where Cabot was born out. And I think, you know, a few years ago, as we um, started to look for, you know, sort of Southern compliments, which, you know, landed us eventually after a long search at the Caribbean in St. Lucia, we, you know, had a debate, which was, do we call it something different or do we call it, you know, Cabot? And, uh, and we made the decision to, to stick with Cabot, which at that point, you know, Cliffs had been, you know, Lynx had made the world top, all the world top hundred lists and Cliffs was, you know, getting a lot of great press and it felt like it was really a chance to, you know, to build on the foundation we built in Cape Breton. And obviously that's subsequently taken us to Cabot Revelstoke and, uh, and Cabot Citrus Farms and, and hopefully beyond. But, you know, I think the, the focus is really the same and it's, you know, to create magical places where remarkable memories are made. And, you know, we, we think that is, uh, you know, that's a worthwhile mission that gets us out of bed every morning and we get to do it in these absolutely spectacular places. And, uh, and I think if we can, uh, if we can keep doing that and keep having fun doing that, hopefully we, uh, we create some, uh, some special spots. Well, it seems like you're off to a good start and I definitely want to get to, um, some of your influences and, and your relationship with Mike Kaiser, another name that people will know. Um, I know you guys are now part of that dream golf portfolio that has been built along with Bandon and Sand Valley. Just out of curiosity, it, is there a significance to the name Cabot? Uh, where does it come from? 
Yeah, so Cabot, which uh, in Cape Breton, um, there is a famous road that has sort of been called Canada's, um, you know, Big Sur, the drive, uh, the drive in California near Carmel, which is the Cabot Trail. And that was named for John Cabot, who sailed under the British flag in 1497 uh, to Newfoundland and to Cape Breton and uh, it was originally an Italian named Giovanni Cabato who sailed as an, under an anglicized name, but that's, uh, that's where Cabot came from. And I think, you know, if you think back uh, 500 years ago to setting out on the, the seas for, uh, for new destinations, it's certainly, uh, you know, parallels that we like in that exploration, but, uh, but yeah, that's where the name came from. Yeah. It's certainly uh, a good parallel to Pebble beach too, which I know is uh, what you, one of the courses you attribute um, your love for golf by the sea to, are there, are there some other courses that play into that? Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many, I mean, you know, I, uh, I grew up in, uh, in Ontario, nowhere near a sea. Um, and so perhaps, uh, perhaps if I'd grown up by the sea, I'd have a different view of it. But for me, there was always, uh, you know, there was always just a certain magic of being near the ocean and uh, and you know i think whether that's um on the west coast of the united states um you know in sort of the the carmel area or up at bandon or you know down in tasmania or durban south africa it's just always special and you know i think for me links golf in the uk and ireland and you know really um developing a love you know for that golf not just the you know, not just the sort of the chance to be in a beautiful setting or be by the sea, but really just in the conditions it provided and the fact that, you know, you had to play shots that ran along the ground and, you know, sort of invent shots versus sort of, you know, repeating the same, you know, flop shot over and over again. I think it was a combination of all of that, but, you know, um, and, and then there's, you know, look, I'm a fan of, of great sites and, you know, I count Royal Melbourne and, uh, and Banff Springs in the mountains of Canada and Bill and Ben's, you know, seminal work at Sandhills and Augusta is all inland sites that are great. So it's, it's not, you know, sea or bust, but I think it always comes down to a really spectacular site and really spectacular ground for golf. You were starting to build greens and tees and things like that at as early as the age of 10 years old. I mean, what recollections do you have of, of when you started doing that? And did you know then that this is what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Yeah, I mean, I think I thought I wanted to be a golf course architect, um, which all the golf course architects who know me would say I'm probably, uh, you know, nowhere near skilled enough to do that. So I guess I found a better path. But, uh, you know, I remember it vividly. I mean, it's still there. It was a, our family farm. And I think it was probably a, a make work project to get uh, a, a kid with too much energy out of the house. But, uh, but you know, there was this, uh, this field that sort of had a high point dropped into a valley and then came back up and it was surrounded by uh, this, uh, this barn. And I remember digging out this massively deep pot bunker and, you know, um, I didn't didn't actually figure out how to do a revetted face, but it, I basically just dug a huge hole and put all the fill on the side of it. So it sort of looked like this, you know, massive pot bunker and then had this sort of kidney shaped green that I would tuck pins in behind it. You know, I play it from 
you know, 210 yards. And then, you know, from 60 yards and I mowed the fairway really, really wide, you know, I'd play it from all these different angles and, uh, and my parents supported that, uh, that initiative and let me, uh, let me go to it. And, uh, and I had a rotor tiller and, you know, de- sort of dug out the green and, uh, and I would go out and just hit shots and, uh, and play golf all afternoon. And so, you know, and then I'd watch the, uh, the golf on TV on the weekends and, uh, you know, I'd sit there with a sketchbook and draw golf holes. And, and, you know, I think, uh, I think I was talking to Lauren about it. And if you look at them, there's, they're so diabolical. I mean, they really, you know, <laughs> were inspired by, you know, Pete Dye at Sawgrass or Old Marsh or something where it was just like, you know, if you take the hardest line, you had an open shot. So, I mean, I think in those early drawings, you certainly got, I loved golf courses and I loved strategy and I loved, um, you know, risk reward and, uh, and certainly drama, but, uh, but, you know, mostly I just loved golf courses and, you know, I got such a kick out of getting to see these far off places and, you know, watching the old shells, wonderful world of golfs and, you know, really imagining traveling to, you know, far off lands to play golf courses. And I think, you know, uh, the rest, I think it was, uh, it was fate. I didn't really have a choice and, uh, you know, didn't, uh, didn't find many jobs that, uh, I could get, I guess, and started my own thing and, uh, in, in golf and in golf travel. And, and that took me all over the, all over the place playing golf and was lucky to, to get to play most of the great courses at a pretty young age. And, and that set me on this path. Yeah. It's, well, it sounds like a pretty serious hobby, I think for you. Did, have you, done anything in terms of you know the courses that have been completed so far cabot links and cliffs and the nest even um have you done anything with those courses in terms of design like helping those guys out rod whitman or core crenshaw or is that you just kind of let well, them they, go do their thing yeah they don't need any help uh, <laughs> but i'm sure they uh, i'm sure they wish that i left them alone i mean i think the thing is if you grow up um you know, if you grow up building a golf hole and drawing them in your mind, you know, it doesn't make for a passive developer experience. And, uh, and, you know, I think, uh, Rod had probably never had a client who cared so much about it, but I was literally out there with them every day. I moved, uh, I moved with my, uh, wife from downtown Toronto to Inverness to live there to oversee construction. And, and so, you know, look, I think the, uh, the thing about getting to work with, uh, with Rod, who we did at Cabot Links and, uh, and then again at, uh, at Cabot Revelstoke and at the Nest and, you know, with his now design partner who even before they made a formal partnership worked at Cabot Links and, uh, and at the Nest, Dave Axland and, uh, you know, and Keith Cutton, who's joined, uh, their, uh, their firm, you know, helped state Cabot links with me, you know, I guess probably 12, 13 years ago. So, you know, we got to work with these amazing folks and we continue to get to work with them. So I think, you know, you, you really realize that when it's at its best, it's an art. And uh, as I said, they don't need a lot of help and Bill and Ben's body of work speaks for itself. But, you know, one of the highlights uh, professionally of my life is getting to walk around and uh, in these places with those guys and uh, and certainly they're kind enough to humor me on uh, on ideas uh, of which I'm sure I have five bad ones before I fall out of bed in the morning but they're uh, 
they're wonderful to, to give me the time and, and to be a part of that process, which is a remarkably fun process, really, Al. Links and cliffs are ranked uh, at the top of uh, the courses in Canada in most rankings that you'll see anywhere. How do you describe the big difference between those two courses for someone who may look to book a trip there? You know, what's amazing is, you know, the um, people sort of, you know, are, are universally in love with Cape Breton, which was what I knew before we ever built golf. And when you look at Cape Breton and just the diversity of the scenery, um, you know, it's really what to me had made it such a special place long before we thought of golf. But if you told me that we would build two courses half mile apart and they would be so distinctly different, it'd be hard to believe given that they're both on the same, really the same beach and the same coastline. But, you know, the nature of the sites are so different. And, you know, I think what Rod built on Cabot links um, you know, with a mile of ocean frontage and a, a fishing harbor that, you know, sort of is the backdrop to the six hole, a cape hole playing around it, you know, is uh, really feels like it belongs in Scotland and Nova Scotia is Latin for new Scotland and, you know, more Gaelic spoken there than uh, I think anywhere in the world. And so, you know, you really realize that there is, um, you know, there's this amazing feeling of, you know, even though we only, you know, opened a little over a decade ago to have a golf course that was in between a town and an ocean that resembled some of the great links of Ireland or Scotland um, or England or Wales, you know, I think we, you know, we really felt so blessed with that. And then cliffs, you know, as I said, it was a half mile to the north, but it was just a very different geography. It had uh, sand dunes at the southern end that were bordered by an estuary rose to a you know a higher ground in the middle and then to the uh, the eponymous cliffs up at the north end of the property were 15 16 17 and uh, and coming down 18 you know play and and a little more coastline than rod had at a mile and a half but really the you know both courses are sort of celebrations of their landscapes their landscapes are just very different so I think it's amazing to see people, you know, come off and basically be evenly split, although the rankings, you know, have, have been kind to both of them. I think Cliffs is usually a little higher, but, you know, Link says it's ardent defenders and, and, uh, and sort of people are split on which they prefer, which I think is really the testament to what Mike had done at Bandon with Bandon Dunes at Pacific, where, you know, the round counts are actually very similar and, you know, both have their, uh, their sort of equal fans. And, and I think that's great, right? Because I think if you built one that was so much better than the other, always tough to sort of build that destination, but, you know, people come and they play both and they love both. And, you know, my group will be split on which was the better course, which we're quite happy to hear. Well, I, I think you're exactly right. You look at pictures of both of the properties and um, if you just, showed it to someone and they had no idea what they were looking at the, a good chance they might guess somewhere uh in the british isles so um very dramatic especially cliffs just way way up high i i have yet to been so i really look forward to going there at some point you're pointing at me i know i know <laughs> i haven't been able to the travel is just the, well that that part thankfully i think we're on the other side of so we hope right. we'll see you soon but uh but it's been uh, you know obviously 2020 was a tough year 
um, you know, for that destination. But we got to welcome back, uh, you know, our Canadian and American friends uh, last year. And I think we're, uh, we're in for a busy year this year. But, uh, but certainly uh, really excited to see those travel restrictions fall. How, in terms of bookings, um, someone tried to book something for this year, is it pretty difficult or do you have to look? Pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're actually fairly booked into 23. So, you know, I think, uh, I think if there's flexibility, it's, uh, you, you know, we, we work hard to find something, but I think that like, uh, you know, like some of the other destination golf places, I think just that chance. And, and I think that that was, you know, we were, we were fairly sold out before, um, before COVID, but I think that ability to get away to, you know, extraordinary places and share memories with friends and family feels like it's at the top of the, the top of the demand bucket right now. So I think, uh, you know, we're looking forward to, uh, to just seeing all that luck come back and, uh, and come back to the community. Gotcha. Before we go into the status of the other uh, developments you have going, um, just briefly, I know we've mentioned Mike Kaiser and his properties a little bit. I know you have a, a very good relationship with him. What has it been like to have him as a partner, as a mentor, uh, and just as a, a friend you can bounce ideas off of? Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's just been a highlight of uh, it would be a highlight of anyone's lifetime, and it has a mind. So, uh, you know, I think um, goes back uh, fifteen years. Uh, probably a little bit more now, but really, um, you know, really just uh, an amazing individual who'd obviously had great business success before he turned his attention to golf and, and, you know, and dabbled in golf um, before he built Bandon. But, you know, I think it's an amazing thing to sort of see someone come at the game as he did, having not developed golf before um and to do something like Bandon Dunes, which obviously just, you know, changed the paradigm. And, uh, and really without Bandon, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have even gone to look at, uh, at Cabot in Cape Breton. And, and in the early days of that development, when I approached him, you know, he was, uh, he was so, even though he wasn't quite ready, trails was about to open, Barbuco had just opened in Tasmania. Um, you know, he was so supportive of sort of a young entrepreneur from Canada who had no credibility building golf courses, you know, you know, just offering words of support when, you know, even the words of support were incredibly rare to come by. And then, you know, so fortunate um, thereafter to be able to partner with them a couple of years later and, uh, and really be so supportive of the entire journey. And, uh, you know, as we, um, as we look at, citrus farms and we were just down uh, down at Worldwoods in december together and you know down to saint lucia with bill and ben last year and you know it's just uh, just wonderful to to spend the time and get to think about golf and uh, you know and i don't know there's he, he certainly figured out before i did that there's no better profession in the world and uh, you know, he had a great line of uh, he's going to keep building uh, golf courses till he runs out of money or he dies. And, uh, you know, he's got time on both fronts. And so we're, uh, yeah, we just continue to have a lot of fun and, uh, and find great places that we might get a chance to work on. Yeah. Uh, the more you guys can do, the better. Um, so 
hopefully that is a, a nice natural transition. I think I'm right about this. The next one in line to open would be St. Lucia um, in later in 2022, maybe a little bit into 2023. Um, we'll get to see that golf course point, point Hardy golf club uh, and perhaps the most spectacular site yet. Um, it, it looks like it will be immediately a, one of the Caribbean's top courses. What do you think, uh, distinguishes that place and that piece of land that you have down there? It is, uh, it is just jaw droppingly spectacular. And it really was, I mean, the first minute I went on that site, which is, um, you know, gosh, six years ago now, I was all over the Caribbean looking at sites and I saw that, that piece of ground and, uh, you know, I was on it for 10 minutes and just knew you had to try and find a way to, to do that project. And, uh, and again, you know, similar to Cape Breton, not to, you know, not a, the most obvious of destinations at first, there was, you know, one golf course in, uh, in St. Lucia you know, it wasn't really a golf destination, but, you know, I just knew the quality of the site, which had previously been earmarked for golf and uh, had started construction. Nicholas Design had started with Raffles Hotel and, you know, unfortunately were victims of the financial crisis. But, uh, but you know, the coastline there, Al, was just so amazing. I mean, it was, you know, two miles, but it jutted in and jutted out and sort of did all the things you'd want from a golf standpoint, particularly, you know, to, uh, to someone who had been drawing these, uh, these risk reward holes at a young age, you know, and, uh, and I called, uh, I called Bill from St. Lucia, uh, Bill Coor and, you know, and when we did cliffs, um, and, you know, I think it was Ron Witten who said it was the second coming of Cypress Point because of its sort of dunes and, you know, transitioning to the cliffs, but, you know, when we did cliffs, you knew it was just a really, really, really special site for golf and, and getting to work with Bill and Ben on anything would have been a, a highlight. But, you know, I just sort of had the feeling of you'd never really find another site like it. And uh, in uh, in my typical fashion with Bill, I said, I think I've found another site, uh, you know, that uh, that's every bit cliffs rival. And you know, he probably thought it was a hyperbolic statement from a young developer, but uh, he thankfully had uh, had found patience for me at some point in his uh, his dealings with me. And he came down and saw it, and uh, you know, and it is just so unbelievable. And to give them a canvas, uh, you know, to give them any canvas is a real a real joy. But to give them a canvas with nine greens on the ocean and you know, just unbelievable sort of you know, really the whole the whole feel of the place. I mean, you move through this area by nine and 18 that has all of these cacti. And then, you know, by the 14th hole, you're sort of down by the beach and there's a real tropical feel. And, you know, it's all within this, uh, you know, almost 400 acre property. And it's just sort of, you know, amazing to be able to build that golf in this, uh, in this day and age. And, and certainly, you know, the excitement has really just grown as we've watched the golf holes take shape and, uh, and get to see, you know, the finished shaping and, uh, and Bill and Ben and their team and just the amount of time they've spent on site to really make sure we get the most out of, out of that amazing property is pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, it looks pretty remarkable in the kind of land that 
you, you can't believe that there's actual golf holes up as a part of some of these uh like rocks jutting out on the ocean and things like that and yeah kind of like cypress point like you mentioned um well and that would end the cypress point analogy is actually the cliffs one but you know i mean i think that um you know, what Cypress always has that any lover of golf course architecture, aside from the fact that Mackenzie did it, which, you know, would make it worth the, the trip is really just that coastline, you know, doing what you hope it will do versus, you know, the long linear coastline that, well, you know, beautiful and actually Cabot Lynx is very much on that type of land. You don't get that ability to play as much across and the angles and sort of the bite off, uh, mm. bite off sort of a lot of land so yeah i think it's uh you know it's just it is as you said it's a, it's a remarkable site the next one would be actually i think the most the one that was most recently announced uh cabot citrus farms um before we get into that both of that and uh saint lucia have a real estate component to them and i know you talked a little bit to lorne about building the golf to and then the the real estate kind of follows can you talk a little bit about your thought process behind that your your philosophy in terms of uh a golf real estate development like those two yeah well i mean in nova scotia we've sold a fair amount of real estate we sold 29 homes uh this past year and uh you know i mean the villas at cabot links we uh we had sold a few years ago so I mean, I think it's just, you know, again, it becomes an integral part of as we create these places and and there's demand. But I think, you know, the the point you're alluding to, which, you know, is how do these things coexist and how do you, you know, you sort of build great golf and and have real estate. And I think, you know, um, golf and real estate have negative connotations. But again, if you look at Pebble, um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, if you look at Bandon, if you look at uh, Turnbury, you know, Shinnecock, there's sort of, you know, really what the common themes to me were, was you gave the best land, uh, you know, to the golf, and then you figured it out around it. And I think, you know, the more, more fixed points you have from a routing standpoint. So, you know, if I said I needed it to be par 72, and, you know, two par threes and two par fives aside, and I wanted it to be 7,200 yards, you know, those are a lot of fixed parameters um, that then you have to go out and do or returning nines, right? And so I think that, um, you know, giving, getting the best canvas you can for golf and letting the, uh, you know, letting the golf architects go to it, to me, just felt like it would always yield something really special. And I think, you know, Shinnecock's clubhouse, um, and it's setting, you know, is sort of the perfect setting in, in golf. And, you know, I, I long, you know, marveled at Turnbury's hotel, you know, sitting up on the hill. I mean, it would have been easy to put it out on the water by the lighthouse, but, you know, I mean, we've been to lots of buildings on the ocean and there aren't many, you know, golf courses that occupy that prime land. And so I think, you know, and even really Mike had banned it, you know, I mean, there is, if you think about, it, I mean, there's, um, hundreds of rooms but it doesn't impact the golf experience and really it could have very easily he could have put the lodge out on the ocean and uh, you know and then you would have had to play around an entry drive and behind the parking lot so I think it's really you know let the golf find its uh, find its place and uh, you know and then 
have the real estate not be obtrusive and you know you're not playing into houses behind greens and and what that means is sort of counterintuitive from a real estate development perspective obviously because the uh you know, the seventh, uh, seventh green and eight T and the eighth green and ninth green and 18th green and St. Lucia would all be, uh, you know, holy moly oceanfront lots. But, you know, I think having that golf occupy that land creates sort of, you know, the, the best golf experience you can build. And then if you're, you know, and we saw this at Cabot links where we basically, in, in previous iterations of the routing clubhouses have been pushed out to the sea and we just, pulled it all the way back to the top of the property. And so, you know, no one, and, you know, the town of Inverness borders it, no one said that the, uh, the town of Inverness is negatively impact the golf experience. But I think if we put a clubhouse out on the water, you know, it would have negatively impacted it. And yet from the clubhouse and all of our rooms and all of our villas at Cabot Links, you're looking across the golf course out over the ocean and, you know, the beautiful sunsets uh, that the West side of Cape Breton Island gets. And, you know, I think that actually adds more intrigue, more interest to the visual than just looking at a at an ocean, which would be monochromatic. And and from a golf standpoint, and obviously lots of people who find us are are there for the golf. You know, you're looking across this beautiful golf course and this beautiful landscape out to the ocean. So, I mean, I think it was. I don't think it was. Um, you know, it ever felt like it. It couldn't coexist. It's just how do you really let the golf be the star, and you work around that. Yeah. I know that's probably a hard pill to swallow for a real estate developer to say, Hey, let the best land be for the golf. And then, you know, we'll see what happens after that. But, um, hard, hard to argue with the results of, of a lot of those properties that you mentioned. Um, so what is the plan for, there's two Tom Fazio design courses there at world woods, uh, pine barrens and rolling Oaks, uh, really well thought of in the Florida community. Um, what is the plan for those two courses moving forward? Well, so there's, you know, uh, in addition to those two, Tom also built a nine hole short course, which had, uh, you know, mainly par threes and a three hole practice loop and a circular driving range. And, you know, I had, uh, I mean, I love, uh, I love Tom's work and, uh, and I've traveled all over the world chasing his, uh, his many wonderful designs, but, you know, Worldwood's had a special place in my heart and, uh, you know, it was really a function of, you know, just one of those early courses that had public access golf that was great. You could just tell it was different, right? I mean, in the way that when you tasted really good food, even if you couldn't articulate it, you knew the difference. And and I think Worldwoods, which opened in 93, had that in spades. And, uh, and so, you know, it was an asset we'd looked at you know, many times over the last number of years and, and finally were able to buy it in December. Um, you know, but I think that, um, you know, we, uh, we really truly think it's just got some of the best land for golf we've seen. And, and really, you know, with the sort of the exposed sand and the elevation change and the wonderful old oaks. I mean, the biggest things that have changed since, you know, the original design is just a massive amount of tree growth that's occurred over the last 30 years. And, and, you know, certainly while everybody loved the golf, you know, it was, it never got to building accommodation. So it really didn't have that same, you know, destination ability of, uh, of sort of some of the things that came after it to draw on the whole golfers for a few days, you were always sort of 
struggling as to where it was. And, and it was a bit tough to access when I first went there over two decades ago. But now, you know, there's a toll road straight up from the Tampa airport. It's about 45 minutes north. And, you know, it is, uh, it's just a beautiful piece of ground. And, and the undeveloped land, I mean, there was a grand vision to build more golf that, you know, like the accommodation didn't quite get realized, but the undeveloped land, you know, is equally as beautiful and actually has even more elevation change in, you know, and we have more undeveloped land than the golf land. So I think really what we're focused on right now is finalizing the plans of how we're going to reimagine that golf. It's operating today as, as world woods and, and as is, and, uh, you know, we'll end up closing it, um, you know, probably in May timeframe, Al, and, and I think, you know, begin to announce the plans for what we're, uh, what we're working on. But I think the key components are really utilizing that great land for golf and building a, uh, building sort of a central, you know, resort village that gives people the chance to stay on site, to eat, and really to experience that beautiful, uh, beautiful piece of nature. You know, it's in the, the Florida's nature coast is the area it's called. And it's just, every time I'm there, I just get more and more joy from, uh, you know, from all the sort of the, the sort of fauna and the wilderness and the wildlife and, uh, you know, just a really, really special place to be. Yeah. I, last I could tell just from looking back was that that would be a late 2023 timeline there. Is that still kind of the idea? Yeah, so um, we're basically hoping we will close um, in sort of May timeframe. And I think, you know, October, November of next year, we'll reopen. Okay. All right. And lastly, uh, I know of all the things you've got on your hands, you've got another one in Canada on the west side of the country uh, near a town called Revelstoke, which is, like you mentioned at the beginning, well known for its skiing. Um, you're taking... Uh, Rod Whitman out there to build another golf course, uh, at Cabot Revelstoke, uh, also known as Cabot Pacific. I've seen it referenced as, um, that project was actually announced before Cabot Citrus Farms. And I think this was last year. We did, we did a piece on that last year about it. Um, that one seems markedly different from, from all the other ones. Um, well, I, I think, you yeah. know, it's funny. I, I didn't set out to build a, uh, to build a mountain course. And certainly when I first heard about it, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't chomping at the bit, but you know, I'd been skiing in Revelstoke and it's the, you know, it's got some of the best skiing in the world and it's the heli ski capital of the world, they say. And, you know, it's a destination that, um, you know, it really meets the, the definition of an extraordinary location. And I think given that so many people I knew and, uh, and myself included had found it for its amazing skiing, you know, I, I guess my preconceptions about mountain golf is that it was almost always built on really severe land and therefore, you know, tough to yield it. And as we talked about inland sites earlier um, that I really loved. And, and one of them I mentioned was Bamp Springs, which was, Stanley Thompson's course in in the mountains of Alberta and the in the Canadian Rockies and I think you know we um, you know we've been blessed with probably the two best mountain courses in the world in Banff and Jasper Park and you know really what made them so special Al, aside from again Stanley Thompson's architecture which was always you know going to be a star was that they weren't sites that were on severe pieces of land. They were really on sites that had great movement for golf, but took advantage of that unbelievable, 
you know, natural surrounding that is the, the magic of the mountains. And, you know, I went first to look at Revelstoke, um, not with the idea that I would actually be interested in doing it. And when I saw the land for golf, I called Rod from that site and said, uh, you know, I've got one. And, and Rod lives in British Columbia. So I'd, I'd been pulling him across the country to Nova Scotia for all those years. But I thought, you know, the chance to do it. He was born in Alberta and grew up loving Banff and Jasper, you know, as did I. And, uh, and I think the chance to do something with Rod is, again, was really tempting. And the site is just so beautiful. It sits on this benchland that, uh, you know, that's about, uh, you know, 100 feet above the Columbia River Valley, which ultimately flows down to Oregon. But, uh, you know, you get these amazing long views of the river valley and then the mountain range on the other side. And, you know, these beautiful trees, but really it's just in every, you know, in every location that you look, you've got this amazing physical surrounding. And and I think the thought of giving Rod the chance, you know, to, as we did in Cape Breton, because, you know, before we built Cabot Links, you know, golfers had been going to see Highlands Links, which was uh, Thompson's course on the east side of Cape Breton Island. And I think Rod really coveted that chance to be able to display his work alongside Stanley's and not in a competitive way, but just, you know, that he would have that opportunity. And, and I think that and just how spectacular we knew the site was and what it could yield really uh, made it one we couldn't say no to. And as a destination, I mean, it's just, unbe you know, unbelievable in the winter, uh, but equally beautiful and wonderful in the summer. So we're, we couldn't be more excited about that one. It's, uh, it's just a special part of the world. Yeah. And that's a 2024 target date. Um, I know Correct. when you announced it, you announced you would be building uh, a lodge, about 150 rooms there um, at the base of Mount McKinsey and, and right near the first tee of the golf course. How, how yeah, the, you the first, yeah. the first tees out one side and the, the gondola is out the other side. So it's a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat setup uh, for, uh, for all seasons. Yeah. That's, that was going to be my, my question. How, how are you going to take advantage of um, everything else that's going on in, in Revelstoke. And, and oh, oh my gosh, much. if we didn't, yeah, if we didn't integrate with the ski hill, it would have been insane because it literally is just such a special, such a special mountain. It's got the most vertical drop in North America of any mountain and, uh, you know, amazing powder and just a wonderful, wonderful uh, mountain as it exists today. So I think to be able to add into that village, um, you know, and build upon, the success that the Revelstoke Mountain Resort has has created in its short life uh, was really part of the appeal. Well, all that being said, is there anything else that's either on the radar that you're working on? Maybe you can't tell me. That's fine. But um, it seems like you well, got we'll a lot on your plate. To, what, is, is there room yeah, for we'll more? Just to, yeah, there's probably always a little bit room for more. I mean, the thing that you know, changes, uh, you know, in sort of the 17-year continuum of Cabot is increasingly we just have a wonderful uh, wonderful team and teams of people who, you know, become so responsible for bringing this stuff to life. And, and I think, um, you know, there's, uh, I won't steal Mike's line, um, you know, of, uh, of building till I run out of, uh, run out of money or I die. I should, cause I like it, but, uh, but I think I certainly, uh, you know, certainly we look at a lot of stuff and I think if we can, you know, find those places that we think, have a magic and uh, you know are in extraordinary locations i think we'll keep you know we'll, we'll keep trying to do it and uh, it's just an awful lot of fun and uh, and we get a lot of joy from from the work and uh, and certainly 
from the feedback and the following that we've been able to build, you know, feel like we'll, uh, we'll keep, uh, keep at it for, uh, for a while yet. All right. Well, we'll keep our eyes and our ears peeled. I know when the citrus farms announcement came out, that was like out of left field and had, had not heard anything about that until, you know, the day before. And it's like, well, this is coming down the pipe. Like, all right, we got stuff going on in the U S now with Cabot. So that was great news to hear. So we'll definitely, uh, we're so, we're so excited and, uh, yeah. And, uh, we'll keep our, uh, We'll keep our uh, our workload as full as we can uh, manage and keep delivering great experiences and uh, and hopefully we'll find some other special places soon. Sounds good. And before you go, I just wanted to get your answer. We do a topic of the week on our podcast. I briefed you before we started this podcast uh, for this week's topic and and just want to get your answer to this. May May surprise people, may not. Who knows what he's going to say? I don't know if his answer has changed in the course of our conversation. Probably not. But Ben, who is your favorite golfer of all time? So I have, uh, you know, I have two that I think of. One is uh, one is Jack uh, Nicholas, and and again, he was uh, had won so many of his wonderful tournaments before I was, uh, you know, I was fully uh, fully around to see it. But I have you know, all these lasting memories of his, uh, his win at the 86 masters is sort of my, really my first television event I remember. And just the, the feeling of that. And, uh, and then Ben, you know, Ben Crenshaw, who I grew up, uh, you know, just loving and watching. And so it's a good reminder when asked that question to pinch myself when I get to walk around with Bill and Ben and, uh, and build golf courses. But, you know, I think, uh, having, the chance laterally to meet them both and just such great gentlemen of the game. I think, uh, you know, lots to admire and, you know, in golf and, and in their life after golf. And, uh, and, you know, so those are the two that come to mind. Is that, am I allowed to, or is that, uh, it's probably against you. It wouldn't be a poll, but, uh, there you go. That's my answer. I actually think it's a better answer when you, when you deviate from the, uh, the standards. So that'll work. Is there a current guy? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. Is there one of the current guys that you like? Oh my gosh. I like, uh, I like so many of them, you know, I mean, I think they're, uh, you know, I love the, I love John Rahm. I keep thinking I'm going to shorten my swing and hit it as far as him. And I love Jordan's piece game and yeah, no, I mean, look, I just, uh, I love golf and love watching people play it and they're all, uh, all far better than I am. So I can admire something in all of them. Well, I, I'm right with you there. Uh, again, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and, and giving us your insights on everything Cabot. Um, I appreciate it very much. And let's announce another course in the near future. Why not? We'll do our best. All right, Al. <laughs> great to be with you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time.